Welcome to Everything Under the Moon with Mel and Stell. And this week, we're going to discuss the book Cults in America, Programmed for Paradise by Willa Apple. And this is the second installment of The Conspiracy Shelf. Cults in America, Programmed for Paradise by Willa Apple. This book I also picked up at Half Price Books. And I found the original receipt, actually, while I was reading it. And I know that since everybody really, really cares about this, (laughs) I purchased the book on July 3rd, 2014 at 5.16 p.m. for the price of $4.98. I think we talked about this the last time we did this, Uh but I know exactly what I was doing on that day. What were you doing? Uh, I think I had taken my second round of SATs. Uh Uh-huh. And I drove to my grandmother's house for her 4th of July barbecue. That's amazing. Because that was my senior year. So I remember that summer pretty well. That makes sense. Like I was like thinking, how in the world do you remember that? But then when you said it's senior year, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, right. (laughs) So I I do want to make a statement just so that it is out there and it is known that uh, my, my series is called The Conspiracy Shelf. But that doesn't mean that all the books that I read are like crazy conspiracy theories. And I say that um, because Willa Willa Apple is a collegiate level researcher and a proper academic. And uh, this book that she presents is actually like a step-by-step guide of how cults are formed, um, what things they have in common, and... um, you know, how brainwashing actually works on the brain as a matter of changing it physically and how it functions. Was this a part of, like, her larger research, do you know? I'm wondering what she did, you know, in academia. Um, I know that I made a note of what she does, but I'll be honest, it sounded like it was way above my head. So I know that she's still involved in research, and I think that she's actually, like, the head of a of a research company okay. of like a research and development company if i'm not mistaken yeah. no shame because most phd like stuff goes right over my head i'm like <laughs> i understand the field you're in and that's about it so. exactly like so she's doing stuff like that okay um and the the back of the book says what attracts people to cults what needs do cults satisfy that institutions neglect what goes on inside cults, inside the brains and psyches of people who join. What danger, if any, do cults represent to the fabric of society? And I think that this is really, really like a timely issue for Mm -hmm. us to sit and talk about today because of the intense political divisions and some of the cult-like conspiracy thinking that is surrounded around like QAnon and mm-hmm. vaccines and 5G and like these things I are totally forgot about 5G. Yeah, until you like, said that. Yeah, and, and it, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, but the thing is, and the main thing that I took away from this book. So if you take away nothing else, take away this. Cult-like thinking can happen to anyone, mm-hmm. and we are all susceptible to it. And Dr. Apple spends an entire chapter of actually breaking down the mechanisms by which brainwashing actually changes the way the brain works. Mm -hmm. So this is something that every single person has a risk of falling into. And if you think that you don't, then that's a problem. 
it's the same kind of thing that says that people say like advertising doesn't work on me mm-hmm. yet it works that's mm-hmm. why companies do it and they do it because it works on the largest majority of people because it's human nature exactly mm-hmm. so like that was the thing that i really um came away with and i think that at the time you know this book was written in the early 80s and that was just right after the jonestown massacre mm-hmm. um which you know like that's a whole thing i feel like i should give a quick like yeah go sound bite for them so jim jones um the gregarious cult leader he was a pastor to begin with right exactly like mm-hmm. he was just a regular pastor and he slowly, over time, like he started out with a very, very general message that everyone essentially could agree with, especially with the, the hippie movement of the 70s. And like he really went along with that, too. Like a lot of hippie, free love. Like, yeah, I remember. You know, everyone's the same. Everyone's equal. Yeah, I remember. I, I forget what documentary I watched about him, but I remember that his church was one of the first to desegregate. And he was one of the first people to have like women and uh, people of color in, like, leadership positions in his churches in the 70s. And that was huge, and that's why people loved him at first. Exactly, and there was such a mass appeal. And um, over time, he took all of those regular, normal people and turned them into cult members by becoming slowly more and more radical and introducing the fear that the government was against what they were doing Mm -hmm. and was trying to shut them down and trying to take their liberty so he convinced a group of over 900 of them to move to Guyana. Mm-hmm. And, and I know everybody basically that, you know, is in the Wait, older where? generations, Guyana. Oh, okay. I've never actually heard the name of the place before. Yeah, it, it's Jonestown in Guyana. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I know that a lot of people like know that this fact, they know that this happened. But I mean, just take a moment to think that one man convinced over 900 people to move out of the country because he convinced them so thoroughly that their way of life was under threat, that they were under an existential threat. And the only way that they would be able to escape and live a life of like, live, have a happy, loving society that is inclusive and Mm -hmm. doesn't want to segregate, that, you know, the only way they can do that is if they leave. And not only did they just move to another country... They moved to a place with no running water, no uh, amenities, you know, like no grocery stores, nothing like that. They brought their children. Yeah. <laughs> like people brought their tiny, t- if you, if you told me <laughs> that you wanted me to take my kids to a place without running water permanently, I'd laugh in your face. Yeah, no kidding. He also was like a sex maniac, right? Like exactly. he abused a lot of women in his church mm-hmm. because he told them that like he, like God told them that told him that they needed to be available to him, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what's even crazier, and I'll, like, get into that topic, like, in depth a little bit more uh, later on, but even um, men got into the spirit of it and mm-hmm. would pretend to be sexually attracted to Jim Jones as a, as a way to show that they're – way to show their devotion. Yes. Okay, that's what <laughs> I was getting at. It's not necessarily that he was, like, a prophet, but he very much – like, it was very much the culture of their church that – you showed your appreciation for him in a sexual way. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, of course, many know how that happened, like how it ended up at Jonestown. And I will say that if this is the first time that you're hearing about this, 
you know, you're one of the lucky 10,000 today that's never heard of that, then um, there are a lot of um, other sources out there that cover it more and better than I would be able to. So I would just recommend seeking that out. But the way that it ended essentially um, was that he, Jim Jones convinced slash forced um, those 900 some people to uh, drink cyanide laced flavor aid mm-hmm. and um, commit a mass suicide. I don't like calling it a mass suicide. I think no. it's a mass murder. Yeah. And I think that's how the federal investigation classified it as well. And that's great because I don't think in my life I've ever heard it called a mass murder except for in the documentary of the, like, four survivors. Yeah. I, I'm i just going to ask you a question. I don't know if you know or not. But didn't they inject people who Absolutely. didn't want to drink it? Yes, and there were, like, small children mm-hmm. and people that were uh, fighting it. And, you know, they were they were injecting small children. They were injecting people, like, behind their back so they yep. couldn't even see. Like, they didn't even know what was coming until they were already stuck, you know. And Yeah, there's no way you can call that a suicide yeah, <laughs> when exactly. children are like, no, I don't want the Kool-Aid. And let's say, let's say that this was all completely 100% everybody drank it of their own volition. Still a murder because yeah. he had completely warped their minds. Like mm-hmm. he actually, you know, and he's responsible for that. He is essentially like if it weren't for Jim Jones, they would be alive. Yeah. So that makes it murder to me. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, right. Um, so like and this cult is uh, one that is mentioned specifically by Dr. Apple as an example of many of the cults that we see today or like as of the 80s, many of the cults we see today is what mm-hmm. she's saying. Um it is a direct result of the counterculture movement of the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So this was a sort of mass rejection of society, like with the Vietnam War going on, a disillusioned American public, um, people trying to seek like a new and better way, much like the people, uh, Jim Jones's uh, group. And I can see that a little bit today in our culture. So lately I fell down an Instagram rabbit hole. Like, you know, um, once you Google babies once, (laughs) Instagram latches onto it and shows you, like, (laughs) everything. And I started getting, you know, I'm kind of a crunchy hippie, and but I'm not, like, an anti-vaxxer and I'm not, you know, anti-science. But it just started, like, casually popping up in my feed. And I started, you know, taking in this media and, like, for a split second, I thought it was totally okay, like... The way it's presented to you, you think like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't give my kid unnatural stuff. You know, just because some Instagram mom QAnon lady is like, it's bad for you. But it's so prevalent. And there's this attitude that this is like the new enlightened way to live your life, like without chemicals or like unnatural stuff, which like for the record, (laughs) chemicals are natural. Exactly. Where do you think scientists got the stuff to make the things they make in the lab exactly it all came from earth in the first place like Mm -hmm. like gmos like it all came from the earth anyway like yeah and and i mean you know at the same time just because it's natural doesn't mean that it's good you know what else is natural (laughs) bears (laughs) bears so Um, yeah that's just my little it's so easy to get sucked into this mindset and that's like that's a really good point and that's exactly what she gets at throughout this entire book by explaining that it really can't happen to anybody. And, you know, Instagram, I think they're, are they owned by Facebook? Yeah. Okay, so 
Facebook, we know, has conducted mass experiments on manipulating emotions Mm -hmm. through the way that they present the data. And, you know, clearly, um, I would say there's other things at work, too. Like, your phone knows about you. Your phone knows Mm -hmm. that you're crunchy. And it's giving you stuff that's going to appeal to your sensibilities and maybe even cause you to change your mind on things that you stand really strong on. And that is exactly, like, what happens. Mm Mm-hmm. And we just need to be aware of it. Like, that's the main thing. Like, you just got to stay aware and woke in a totally different way. Yeah. And I mean, literally, like, open your eyes. <laughs> yeah. And, and take a second to analyze, you know, why you're getting the content that you're getting mm-hmm. on social media. Those cults that came up out of the counterculture movement of the 1960s, you know, like, those are the ones that we end up hearing about, reading about, Um you know, and that's where like Heaven's Gate sprang from, for example. I don't know. We're going to talk about Heaven's Gate in a little mm-hmm. bit, too, just because they're so interesting. And we oh, we were so both crazy. talking about how it almost seems like a happy ending for them. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> like, I'm not against it. Yeah, <laughs> like, <horrible>. so, <laughs> I, I'm going to have you defend that uh, stance later. And I'm really looking forward to it. And I agree with Good. you. I just want you to defend it for Love us. It. <laughs> <laughs> so like... It was the it was the People's Temple and Jim Jones that like brought like the whole phenomenon of cults into like the mainstream and made it something to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. And so these cults have existed since the beginning of time and they've always existed and generally we before we would never hear much about them because they're so very insular and they're not necessarily interested in like participating in the mainstream. Yeah. Um, but things have changed now. I think these days, while we still have a lot of those same cults in the same way, um, I think that there is this really scary convergence of um, politics and religion that is uh, fueling some of these crazy conspiracy theories. And I just wanted to ask you, because I, I heard some data on it, and I can't like swear that this is true, but according to my source, I, I found something out. And I want to ask you, how many people do you think follow QAnon? Like, just throw out a number. Two million. It's more like 18 million people. Holy shit. Just think about that. Yeah, I mean, that, if that, so if that if is true, are, if that source is true. Mm-hmm. And if there are, like, about, say, 350 million people in America. Exactly. God, that's fucking insane. I'm dyslexic, so I'm not going to do that math, but damn. Yeah, right? Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah. And I, I heard that the other day, and I almost shit my pants. Like, I kid you not. I couldn't believe there were that many. But also, I'm trying to remember, and I think one thing that is keeping us all so divided as a nation is that we are not being understanding in mm-hmm. a way. And I don't mean to be tolerant of people's intolerable views, but to at least understand that this could have happened to you. Yeah, and that those people who are QAnon believers now, I mean, I think 10 years ago, they would have been just normal Bush supporters. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. Like, but like the, they would the have been, or maybe Mitt Romney. Maybe I'm going too far back, but exactly. It's yeah. made them desperate and it's farther, it's further radicalized them. Like, as exactly. I have become radicalized by, like, Bernie's first campaign radicalized me politically, as I have been, become radicalized. Am I saying that right? Whatever. To the left, they have gone the other way. Yeah. And, you know, that's we just have to remember that behind these beliefs are real fears and insecurities. Mm -hmm. And real people who are, like, educated Mm -hmm. and somewhat normal. (laughs) Yeah, they are definitely – I would not assume – 
Although maybe there are some statistics on like the average IQ of mm. a QAnon believer versus not. Like I would not assume that any individual is more or less intelligent. I'm just imagining <laughs> you going to a QAnon person and being like, will you take this IQ test for the government? And they're like, no. <laughs> like we never get that data. Like, oh, I'm going to have to mark it as a zero. Exactly. Because you wouldn't participate. Bringing the average down. <laughs> I wanted to mention, uh, I just remembered... Uh, Fundy Fridays on YouTube, she's great. She did a video on Love Has Won recently, which is a cult that just happened, I think, in the last, like, 10 years. Basically, this woman started this, like, new age type cult where you had to, you know, typical cult stuff, and I don't mean to steal your thunder because she'll probably go over this, but, you know, give away all of your earthly possessions, um, give me your social security card and your license so you can't leave, that kind of thing, and essentially... The woman who led the cult told everyone that, like, she was Mother God. She was, like, the Mother Earth goddess. But she uh, got cancer and passed away. And they found her body essentially, like, half mummified and decorated with flowers. And, like, her eyeballs were cut out. Like, after she died, the cult, like, made a shrine out of her dead body. And it's just super gruesome. But... But she was crazy. I mean, That's if you like watch, so fascinating though. Yeah, if you watch like, this just YouTube video, just imagine that conversation. Like, okay, so we imagine that she's just passed away. Mm-hmm. All the cult members are standing around, and like, how? Like, if oh, just to be a fly on the wall for yeah, that and conversation. Was that, did she want that done, mm-hmm. or did they determine after she died to do it? There would be someone like we could cut out her eyes. Exactly. <laughs> what do they do with the eyeballs? Where are they? Where are the eyeballs? Where are the eyeballs? <laughs> But, like, in the video, you really should go watch it. Um, It's crazy because this woman is not nice. Like, I remember in one of the clips, she's literally like, you don't think I fucking know the suffering of mankind? I'm everything. I'm everyone's pain. Like, she's literally going (laughs) off. And, like, if my cult leader was, like, that violent, I'd be like, "Mm." (laughs) Which Which begs the question. No, that's not the right... People say begs the question, and they use it in the wrong context so much <laughs> that I'm starting to do it. Love it. And for proper context, just Google it because, you know, it, it's a thing. Um, but that brings up the question, uh, what would your ideal cult leader be like, Mel? Mm, yes. Okay, hold on. I got you. Once you're done with your strawberry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thought I could eat quietly, but I can't. It's the gummy worms all over again. Um, low-key, I'm obsessed with Midsummer, Oh, And true. I think that my cult would be Midsummer. I think that if someone, if a cute the man... The Horga people? Yeah, I think if someone invited me to Sweden and gave me handmade old-fashioned clothes and we lived together in, like, this, you know, communal, raise-our-own-food type of way, but there was also, like, sacrifices. Nice. pagan gods and stuff like the dark side i think would appeal to me for sure and um yeah so i think that's it i think any any type of cult where they're like we're gonna go live naturally and all together i would fall for because i'm totally that crunchy stereotype yeah that makes perfect sense like how about you what's your okay. what cult will you fall for my ideal cult would probably be like one that believes that we derive our power from the ocean mm. and therefore we can never be more than so far away from the beach at any time because it's the source of our lifeblood. 
And we also surf, and we also do, like, really complicated ceremonies out in the waves. And you meet mermaids? Oh, absolutely. But we also believe that we're going to turn return to our natural mermaid state. Oh, I could see that before you even started talking. For sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be I joined your mermaid cult, for sure. <laughs> so, well, you know, I do, your, your cult sounds like a lot of fun to go visit and have dinner. Yeah, right? Come for I the know, midnight sun, the maybe. bomb, you know, like. Oh, I just got to say, every time I watch Midsummer, I look forward to the Etestupa, Etestupa, I think is how you say it, uh-huh. scene where those old people jump off a cliff. Yeah. And I I just have to rant and rave about this movie because it's so good. And that scene, I mean, the director made that scene, he intended for me to feel this way, right? Like, they intend for you to see the gory violence of it, but also you want more. That's the horror, I think, is like the the whole point of the horror of Midsummer because it's considered a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, the horror is how much you're ready to go along with it. Yeah. And by and, the end, you're on her side. It. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. like you have just excused everything. I mean, even the guy like, I mean, not to mention the guy laying with his back flayed open and his lungs hanging out of his oh, body uh, i'm pretty sure What's that's that a blood eagle blood eagle there you go mm-hmm. i knew there was a phrase for it but like i don't know, know if they were actually trying to make it a blood eagle but it looks like one i've seen on like every other i swear to you the first time i heard about blood eagle i thought it was made up really? i'm still well i mean it is made up in the way that everything's made up but yeah and i really feel i really felt like the person was just trying to be edgy yes and i was like that's not a thing and then you said blood eagle and i'm like okay all right. All things. They don't know each other, so it must be real. <laughs> well, I've actually I read an article the other day. This is a little side tangent, because you know I'm into Viking culture, in like a historical way. Like I'm really into figuring out what's real and what's TV. And I read an article that like blood eagling. You know, okay, so I'll explain because people probably might not know what we're talking about. Sure. Blood eagling is supposedly. A Scandinavian ancient tradition that maybe the Vikings or people, Viking era people or previous would have participated in. And it's basically a very, very gruesome death. But if you die honorably that way, you still get to go to your heaven, Valhalla. Nice. But that's kind of not where all so the Vikings like wanted to, to go. It's like a way to die in battle without dying no, in battle? No, it's a way to kill your enemies but still offer them an honorable death. So a king might blood eagle someone who had tried to, like, take over his throne, right, in front of everyone. So, Just, so it's like saying, like, no shade. I don't blame you, but you got to die. Yeah, it's a respectful way to die and a way to show your power. I mean, if you think about it in yeah. terms of, like, why this phenomenon might have come to exist, it's definitely a way for these chieftains to show their power and their violence, which was revered in, like, Norse pagan cultures. Like, Odin was the god of rage, and that was... Like a thing. So blood, blood eagling, they basically cut open your back, flay your back skin so it hangs over the sides, uh, and then they rip out your lungs from the backside of your, like, chest cavity. Yeah. And then they pull them up around your shoulders so it resembles wings. And that's why it's called the blood eagle. And, like, they might have even, like, put salt in your wounds while they were doing it. So it's a horrible, gruesome, like... I am fascinated. Yeah, Yeah, right. I am disgusted. Yes. And ultimately, mm, I'm glad I asked. Good. (laughs) So, yeah, I, there's, back what I was going, back what I was talking about, four (laughs) tangents later, 
there is some evidence to believe that this might just be a gruesome story told by people who remembered the violence of Viking era people. And they are basically creating an allegory to represent that. Kind of like how Drawn and Quartered, have you read that? That Drawn and Quartered might not have really happened all the time. It just kind of was like a gruesome thing to like, to remember people as. Like, like they might have only drawn and quartered one or two people, but in the history books, it's like every enemy was drawn and quartered. You know? I get it. I keep forgetting that like history was, is, and continues to be told by old men. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that take with a grain of salt. You know, I don't like, I don't write things down because, I mean, there are things I write down that I want people to read later in my life or, you know, that I'm, like, keeping for future generations. And I, of course, edit that, right? Like, we edit it for our own vision and story. Hey, that's that's the whole, like, that's the whole benefit of telling it yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Is, like, that you get to say whatever you want. And so I can totally see how, like, maybe a lesser king would have looked back a couple generations and went, oh, my grandfather, he was awesome. People loved him. What did he do? He drawed and quartered people. I'm going to write down that I did it, too. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, and so that people will think I was a badass. Too. I'm trying to think of what lies I would make up about myself. Like, oh, so she could lies. snap her fingers and blow out eardrums. I would just, I don't know. I would just take all of my. They called it the blood ears. <laughs> blood ears. Because she would snap her fingers, eardrums would explode, eardrums and blood would, would run from their heads. I mostly would love to be able to look at strangers. And have them leave me the fuck alone. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> just, just eye contact and would keep them away. And pregnancy will do nothing to help that situation either. Because the first like, person to like, touch me, I'm going to kick them right in the balls. Oh, it's like, but even just, even just thinking about it, like, you could get really keyed up. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, ooh, I just wait. I, I just, I pity the fool. <laughs> like, I'm ready. Try. Try. Yeah, it. try me. So... That was a really fun aside. <laughs> I had a great Agreed. time talking about all of that. I wanted to jump back really quick and talk about the current um, climate uh, that we are in with a lot of the, I won't say like cults, but cult thinking, mm-hmm. I think really has become very mainstream in a lot of ways. And um, as you were talking about too, like as one side is getting more polarized, like we are also getting more polarized like in mm-hmm. response to that. And um, Dr. Apple actually talks about, like, where that sort of animosity may stem from. She says that by their very nature, cults alienate ordinary citizens, for they defy the existing social order. Mm -hmm. Seeing themselves as separate from the rest of the world with a separate ideology and a different lifestyle, cult members stand in opposition to society, denying in greater or lesser degree its legitimacy. Yeah, I mean, I can see immediately how that appeals to people on the fringes. If you're not happy with life and the way that it is, I mean, I'm on uh, I'm on anti-work on Reddit, the subreddit. Yeah. And it's all about, I mean, I totally agree. We shouldn't have to work. <laughs> we were born on this planet. No, no other if animal. If we want free pants, we're going to need a revolution. <laughs> right, like no other animal pays to live on this planet. Yeah, you no know, kidding. we figured that out for ourselves. And I can see so many people on that subreddit just being completely alienated about 
you know, this American dream, like, work hard and you'll get everything you want. It's not fucking true anymore. It just reminds... (laughs) Go ahead. No, it's okay. I mean, people just start getting really sucked into it. And I can see if someone came along and was like, hey, join my way of life. It'll fix everything that you're worried about. Yeah, exactly. And then also on the other side, how we on the outside may have a visceral reaction to that mm-hmm. you know like it 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 very much repels us and especially too, like january 6th was the ultimate example mm-hmm. of of that kind of uh revulsion from mm-hmm. those who are against what the insurrectionists were doing yeah and um, and it because it, it it actually literally threatened the legitimacy of our entire system of government yeah and it's interesting that I mean, it just blows my mind that it went that far, right? Yeah, exactly. That it came to that. I mean, and then, but you think about it too with Jim Jones and like, you would never imagine, first of all, that they would go there. Mm -hmm. Like to me, like still, I know we already talked about it, but just the fact that they sold all of their earthly possessions Mm -hmm. and followed him across the country, you know, across the world to go to another country and then the end result of that, it, it makes you kind of see that these sort of actions are inevitable in mm-hmm. a way like that, that, you know, oftentimes it does result in some sort of form of extreme tragedy or extreme violence. Um, but this is, of course, is not true of like every cult or, you know, but yeah. I mean, clearly like these, you know, these these sort of thinking, this thinking is happening. And I think it's important for the people who you know, let's say that your family, someone you love, someone you know, or someone that you is in your circle somehow like falls prey to these um, ideas going around. Like it's important to try to understand your own reaction to that may be like very intense. Like you may very intensely push against them. And it's because their ideology that they're picking up like actually threatens your way of life and says that it's not legitimate. And I, I mean, no shade, but (laughs) a lot of this, all of this cult discussion, it just reminds me of fundamental Christianism, Christianism, fundamental Christian so much. Do you know how many, uh, like fundamental evangelical Christians there are in the United States? Give me a number. Oh, I want to say at least a million. 80 million. Wow. That's crazy. I learned both of those those number facts that I've given out today, like That's in awesome. the same at the same th- same time. Yeah, you know. I there's something about being confronted with the other way of life that makes fundies like lose their shit, right? Like, yeah. like is that not the entire reason they like seclude? Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, they're they're one step away from being a cult, and some of them are cults, like straight up, like the absolutely like Jeff Warren's and his. And Jehovah's um, Witnesses, certainly. Mm-hmm, and, I, yeah. and I say that because of their um, extreme focus on conformity. Mm-hmm. Uh, <sighs> you know, even in, even in things that are, not, that are not even mentioned in the Bible, like just random unrelated things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we are going to cut this out because of confidentiality, but I have to tell you, one of my students, her family is Jehovah's Witness, and I'm like mind blown that a Jehovah's Witness would send their kid to a private liberal school like that and I only found out because the other week I brought in hard-boiled eggs for like a game 
and it smelled like Easter. And I was <laughs> saying that to the kids. I was like, it smells like Easter in here. Because you always have to say something cool to like lure them in the door away from their parents. Yeah. And the mom, I guess, said something to my boss afterwards. Like, I'm not mad or anything, but we don't celebrate Easter. So it, I wouldn't like. And I was like, oh, no. Like, we, because we weren't actually doing Easter activities. Yeah. We were doing a counting game with eggs. But, but isn't that crazy? I remember it brings back a really random memory um, from kindergarten mm-hmm. that we were doing those. Is it is it an acrostic when you write all the letters yes. of a word down and then each mm-hmm. letter, you know, so like the the word we were doing was Halloween mm-hmm. and we had one girl and this was like almost 30 years ago. So I'm not worried about anonymity, but her name yeah. was Emily. And um, I remember that she said she was not allowed to participate in that activity because they don't celebrate those holidays. And the teacher's solution, which I thought was great, and you know maybe you can just take that, is that she uh, went to another thing that we were also covering in our uh, curriculum, mm-hmm. and uh, which was like evergreen trees. Yeah. So instead of Halloween, she did evergreen. Yeah. And I just... There's know. always easy alternatives. Yeah. I and mean, as an educator, but it just... It's crazy. I had a friend in college. She she wasn't fundy Christian. Like, I don't think that they were, like, they didn't dress modestly. I mean, she went to a regular university. She was normal. She wasn't, like, sheltered. She didn't stick out or anything. Yeah, but, like, her mom, they didn't celebrate Halloween because her mom thought it was, like, the devil's holiday and all kinds of crazy stuff. And that just blows my mind. Christians blow my mind. I think it's because I wasn't raised Christian. Mm-hmm. Just like the whole thing seems like wackadoodle craziness to me. And I'm like, I can't believe people buy into this heart and soul. Like it kind of makes me giggle. Well, it's, you know, like when it comes to, like, I don't know. Like I, I get what you're saying. I'm finding it yeah, hard to like collect. I don't my judge people about, at all because yeah. I, you know, I mean, that sounded so mean. Like people. No, can, but it, but you do point you you do pick on something or you, like you put your finger on something, and that is like to believe a lot of cult beliefs. It has to be indoctrinated early, mm-hmm. or it has to be through systematic brainwashing that actually can be explained. Like you mm-hmm. you can you could go and learn how to brainwash people and then do it, mm-hmm. and. Um, that's exactly how it works, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) And also, according to Apple, most of the cults that presently abound in this country can be characterized as millenarian. And the term derives from the prophesied millennium or the thousand year reign of Christ. And that makes sense because that is the reigning, like, you know, the the Christian religion is the biggest in our country. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense that, like, a lot of cults would be an offshoot of that. Yeah. You know, going back to what you're talking about. Millenarian cult is, um, it has a usually male leader that um, believes himself to be either the Messiah or a prophet that speaks directly for God. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that connects them all together in a category is that they do believe that, like, the end is coming. Yeah. And so Jehovah's Witnesses are a perfect example of that. And I'll probably keep coming back to them, not out of, like, any sort of uh, wish to persecute, like, a particular <laughs> group or anything, but just that they are so helpful for what I'm talking yeah, I mean, about. I think everyone knows who they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really relatable. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses are a really good example of like the, they believe in the 
prophesied like coming end of days, Mm -hmm. you know, they believe that it's like anywhere in the next five minutes. Wow. You know, and aside from like a long history of predicting dates and then the dates coming and going in like the early 1900s, mid 1900s, late 1900s, they did it several times and they kept resetting the date, but still they act as if it's going to be any minute. Yeah. And, you know, that is what cult, that is what characterizes like the large, uh, the greatest majority of cults um, in the United States. And um, I consider it like the spiritual Y2K of religious beliefs, like just believing that, you know, it's coming. And um, they usually believe that it's going to be an abrupt and cataclysmic fashion in which the apocalypse comes. Uh, This kind of gives me vibes. Do you remember 2012? I mean, we were both old enough then to have memories. And I remember, I mean... I didn't think it was actually going to happen, but I do remember this feeling of impending doom, you know, and, and, and like this feeling of like what is really going to happen mm-hmm. and the fact that people were like looting stores and going crazy didn't help. I mean, you really did think that everything was crashing down. I remember that in December of 2012, I was working at Wendy's. And I uh, put in a request off for the 21st. Nice. Um, and it, I didn't think that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, because I, I, I see all that anyway. But I also thought on the odd chance that it might happen, and which I thought, you know, there's a really good chance. In my mind, I was thinking that it could be like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. You know, that we could yeah. see like people do And crazy that's how things. I felt too, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I just requested that day off just in case. I love it. <laughs> just nice. so I could be at home. I'm going to die at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just like, I'm going to die at home playing video games. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember what I was doing that actual day, but I think I was with my aunt and uncle who were like really into conspiracy theories and like the mind calendar. Like I remember we spent that weekend like watching movies about 2012 because there was that movie that came out about the world ending i I mean and to me i always thought first of all they got to stop the calendar at some time otherwise there would still be a mayan there filling out a calendar right now (laughs) that's continuing on into forever like it has to end sometime and now that i'm older and i've done a little bit of research i mean we can't take you can't take any historical calendar for fact because people have changed the way we view time so much like, Absolutely. I forget, don't we call ours, like, the Gregorian calendar? Like, that's what we use right now. Because um, I remember trying to figure out, um, as a pagan, I was trying to figure out when the true pagan holidays were celebrated. You know, because I, I just think that's cool. Just for posterity. Yeah, like, for sure. And I remember reading that you can't do that because we don't know how they measure time in terms of dates. And when we apply our dates to it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so... The thing is, we really don't know. It's lost to history. And I think I remember reading something specifically about the Mayan calendar that, like, they did the math, you know, if we looked at what we thought the Mayans used as a calendar versus ours, that essentially 2012 was actually, like, six years too late. (laughs) (laughs) And I heard, too, that it was just the end of the Bach tune, Mm -hmm. uh, which was, like, you know, so they, they, just like we have years, decades, etc etc that a Bach tune was like a thousand years or something and it was just like 
You know, I remember being such a, I was such a nerd, but I was like, on 2012, I think I posted like, happy new Bach tune, everybody. <laughs> like, as if anyone would know what I'm talking about. Everyone thinks that you've officially like, <laughs> joined a cult. Yeah, really, I know. <laughs> That's exactly what I would look for if I thought people were joining a cult. Like, someone <laughs> like, talking about some weird ancient holiday. <laughs> Um, my favorite example of the millenarian cults that were mentioned in the book, um, I'd never heard of it, and it was a Native American Plains Indian cult that was led by the prophet Wavoka, and he prophesied the impending doom and destruction of the white man. Like, love mm -hmm. it. And uh, he believed that only by dancing could he and his followers hasten the coming of the millennium and the defeat of the white man and the return of the nearly extinct buffalo. Um, his cult was called the Ghost Dance, and they believed that there would be a return to the old ways and all tribes would live in peace, and the only ones excluded from paradise would be the Native Americans who assimilated into white society. It's crazy that you say this is a cult. And it's not, not that I disbelieve you, but, like, you learn about this in history class. Yeah. You learn about Ghost Dance and how all these Native... I mean, here's what I learned, is that... And this is even in college I learned about this, that... All of these Native Americans essentially came together in an effort to, you know, revive their spirituality. And they thought that by coming together, they would defeat the encroachment of white culture. But that's not what it was at all. It was this guy who had started a cult. And yeah, he had a mission and they did, you know, they did want to do something. But it's crazy that we learn about this because is this not, I hate that I don't remember this, but is this not what Custer's last stand was like wasn't Custer Custer's last stand when they killed everyone at the ghost dance revival essentially like they murdered everyone there they killed women and children at this ghost dance thing because the white people didn't want them to overtake us obviously so i was about to say that i'd never learned about the ghost dance in school Mm -hmm. But when you say Custer's last stand, yeah. I did learn about Everyone that. And learned I think, about it. And I think that that actually like goes back to like this whole, you know, like it's it's not it's not the ghost dance where all these natives were slaughtered. It's Custer's last stand where our uh, yeah, yeah sorry I, I've wounded, been to knee wounded knee is the yes yeah. So can I read just a little bit about it from Wikipedia? Oh, so absolutely. We... It's such a sad place. So beautiful and sad, and there's still, like, a mass grave there. Basically, um, the Spotted Elk uh, was the man's name, also known as Bigfoot, which is kind of interesting as a Native okay. American name. Mm -hmm. um, he was a mini Kunjo leader on the U.S. Army's list of troublemaking Indians. And they basically had stopped close to Pine Ridge to, you know, with this group of people, and they had erected teepees on the banks of Wounded Knee Creek, and um, basically they, ca they came and tried to take their weapons. The U.S. Army was like, hey, you need to give us your weapons, and one person said no, and it was kind of like, um, what, do we, what do we call the thing that happened in Boston? You know, like, with, with the soldiers, like how one shot was accidentally fired and then yeah. it just turned into freaking hell because it's war. And when you hear a shot fired, you don't know who did it. You just shoot. That's essentially what happened. I mean, and they killed 25 U.S. soldiers were dead, 150 dead Lakota, and most were women and children. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, really, really absolutely devastating. 
And it's crazy that this was a cult, but that doesn't mean they needed to be slaughtered. Well, you know, the survivors of the ghost dance actually gained some new members after that and became the peyote cult. And they were focused primarily on tripping in the spiritual world and actually withdrawing from society completely. Yes, and the ghost dance thing under the ghost dance name kind of died out because everyone was afraid of violence, which I would be too if 150 women and children were murdered in front of me, you know? Yeah, So anyway, it's just crazy that this huge, huge American event in history... I mean, we get the whitewashed version of it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like, I learned about it as Custer's last stand, which makes him sound like this really brave, like, amazing Mm -hmm. person. And, I mean, he's a war criminal. Oh, yeah. I mean, we would call him on the... We we should refer to him like we do Heinrich Himmler. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Like, the arm of a freaking dictator. I mean, the way we treated Native Americans is absolutely fucking so sad and i just want to this is something i've been keeping in my brain for a while now that i need to say the fact that we committed genocide against entire races of people on this country and now you can buy sage at urban outfitters makes me want to rage yeah we have taken native american culture and made it into something cute and there are still native american families who are suffering because of what we did to them and that's my ted talk (laughs) Gosh, I know it's so sad. We should once we start making money, we should donate to charities about our topics, like Pine oh, Ridge Reservation. Yeah, absolutely. We could give them something. Oh, thank you for saying that. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I get so down, like feeling depressed about the things that we can my help. people have done. We can and, help. You know, I yeah. forget that we can help and that I'm not helpless. So that's really. And great. I think it helps to even just be an advocate. You know. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so ghost dance. You were talking about the ghost dance as a cult. Well, that, I mean, that, it's just, that's one example of the millenarian cult. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I've been struggling with that word this whole time. Just bear with me. It keeps reminding me of millinery, which is like the business of women making hats. Thank you for telling me that. (laughs) Because that's every time you hear it, I think of when I worked at Living History Farm, we had a millinery shop where like women's, like it was like, it's a feminist thing, which is why I know it. I love it. Like it was a women's craft, you know, Uh that they could actually do and be respected still. Like you could make hats and dresses. So I'm just, I think of a bunch of rich ladies with dumb looking hats. (laughs) (laughs) Well, another thing that these millinarian cults have in common is that they are critical of society in the present. Uh, you know, just like ghost dance, and in the spirit of opposition to the reigning social order of the day. Mm-hmm. So thus, there's always a level of withdrawal from society on some level, and it often arises when a certain subset of people feel frustrated and hopeless, and the tendency towards millenarian thinking often follows wars, plagues, droughts, and dare I say, pandemics. Cults happen when people feel frustrated mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, the, the situation is not so good, like, politically, and, you know, things might be just, you know, there might be a depression going on or lots of other issues, like, that are, you know, around the environment. Like, it kind of all starts to make sense. And Dr. Apple claims that not only does this happen, um, like, very commonly today, but it is actually a repeatable, predictable experiment in, be human, in human behavior. Mm-hmm. That when the conditions are right, cults happen always. 
Yeah. What do you think about that? Um, it reminds me of something unrelated, but that you might like to hear. Sure, please. Um, I just want to say, first of all, totally believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that religions are proof that anyone will believe something that makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to note that I see my preschoolers every single day. One student will do something wrong and five students will immediately want to do the same thing. Even if I am actively looking at them and saying, do not do this, they need to follow their peers. And I think it's human nature to want to imitate and follow. Yeah, it And makes I think that sense. plays into this. I wanted to, like, that falls into what the next, like, this next little point I have, and that is this quote from the book that says, people who are firmly rooted in society, in kinship, community, and political groups are less likely to become involved in millenarian alternatives. Mm-hmm. You get what People I'm who can have like you know a strong community around them, uh-huh. they're already having those needs satisfied that a cult exactly. would give them, right? Exactly. Thank you so much. I got you. Um, so, like, do you see how? I mean, the way that the climate has been in the United States and in the world in general, like where these cults might spring from, or this cultish thinking? For sure. Oh, for sure. So. When you think of a typical cult member, what do you imagine the person to be like? I completely imagine a typical dirty hippie from the 60s. Bare feet, long hair, probably smells. I mean, I'm describing myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe a little unhinged. Um, I'm also imagining very defensive. I have to imagine that you would have to be right, like, because not... Maybe I'm stealing your thunder because I remember what you told me, but (laughs) not all of these people are like loners or outcasts. Like they have families who try to get them out of this or whatever. Yeah, for sure. I imagine like somebody in like a long white robe. Yes. That like makes jam Mm -hmm. or something like to to sell. (laughs) Yeah, like a simple type of lifestyle is what you always imagine. Yeah. And, And like rather than defensive i kind of imagine that they're just like somebody that's like always smiling like yeah well Mm -hmm. you know there's peace dude (laughs) (laughs) so apple dedicates an entire chapter to what kind of person tends to join a cult and what environment those people come from and a lot of it is maybe not so surprising but then again some of it is probably the most surprising thing that i learned is that Most cultists come from a tight-knit family with strong traditional family values and that often the catalyst to joining a cult is essentially an exaggerated form of adolescent rebellion. And it's kind of ironic that they rebel against their family unit and then immediately replace it with a new one. Yeah. And often that's exactly how these societies function with strong family ties and a sense of place within within the group. Yeah, I uh, I hate to call out Fundy Fridays again because I sound like a broken record, but she talks a lot about how people in these Fundy cults, not not every Fundy church is a cult, but the ones that are, you don't want to leave. Even if you know it's wrong and you want to leave, that's your entire family. That's the entire world you grew up in. And if you leave, you have no one and nothing. And, and that's a way to make you stay. And I mean, yeah, they, they design, you know, it's by design. Mm-hmm. Like that's, yeah, you know. Um, and like, this is the cult story again and again, 
But like looking back on the political and social environment of the 60s and 70s and the sharp divide that existed between the older and the younger generation of that time, it's easy to make sense of why so many cults sprang up back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, the environment was ripe for it. Um, and like, you know, that it, it explains now, like, especially in the in the age of social media, you don't really have to, I mean, you can reach millions of people just without going anywhere. You yeah. know, back in the day, they used to um, recruit members by literally like standing on soapboxes. Yeah. I mean, that was how it was done. And now even though people aren't necessarily joining these full-fledged cults all the time, as in, like, all the QAnon believers aren't moving in with each other, like, as yeah. far as I can tell, you know, like, they, there's just so much more of a reach for these things. It's like things. a cult of idea. Exactly. Almost. Cult of ideas. I like that. Let's call, let's name the episode that. <laughs> I love it. Cult of ideas. <laughs> yep. Um, so, like... Apple divides the history of cults into kind of like a two-wave thing, like mm-hmm. feminism. Um, the first wave rose arose in response to Vietnam and was sort of entwined in the bigger free love hippie movement that defined the era and like experimental societies and like, you know, just trying to change things because I think... It was a big dynamic, like the divide in generations. And I think that that's like a big dynamic now. And it seems like more so now than maybe when I was younger. Just there's a big divide. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I think that's all our economic society, right? Like the reason that millennials and Gen Zers feel different from other generations is because we have to live our lives differently. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I wonder if there's not always, like, that huge difference, you know, like, between generations. Does that always exist? I haven't been old, like, I haven't lived long enough to know. Yeah. I'm really interested, just as a side note, I love the idea of generations and studying them as whole groups. Yeah. And I know that's not necessarily true all the time, but I'm really, I think, I remember reading about the silent generation which is the parents of the baby boomers. And I just remember thinking that that generation of people was so interesting because they, you know, they they were the World War II generation, Korea, like they had war. Yeah. Um, and they were Victory generally gardens. characterized. Yeah, they were generally characterized as like um, putting their nose to the grindstone, just sucking it up and getting it done, like living your life and not having a lot of social uproar you know and that's why the boomers were different from them because they were the ones who were like no we're not going to just suck it up and live our lives like we're going to protest or whatever and and the thing is too i kind of wish that the silent generation would be able to have an influence on us now too Mm -hmm. like i would i've thought about that and i know like a lot of other people have had this thought too it's like a you know crazy thought experiment like what would happen if they saw how selfish some of us are today like not willing to wear a mask for the greater Mm -hmm. good or you know things like that and not considering it like uh an imposition on their liberties but a way to unite as americans and and do something together and a duty to cut to country yeah i mean it it blows my mind that there are people who don't want to put on a mask when a hundred years ago men were going off to war at 18 knowing that they probably wouldn't come back. So according to Apple, the kind of people who join cults are essentially looking for four main things that cults provide. 
and those are structure, purpose, routine, and order. And I mean, that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. That's but, what I want out of my life. Yeah. <laughs> but there is one more very important thing that cults provide their members. Can you guess what it is? Love. Sure. But, but no. <laughs> what is it? Drama. Oh, I can cults see that. Cults provide drama. Ooh. Oh, and you know, this, that just reminds me so much of like people who have trauma, mm -hmm. like being addicted to chaos. Yep. Like I can see how traumatized individuals from like, you know, a traditional family, you can see my air quotes. Yes. A lot of traditional families have narcissists in them or like, you know, like people can have trauma, not like you don't have to have a horrible life. And I mean, that just seems like a great way that people get sucked in. Yeah, for sure. Rest assured, we could hear your air quotes, even though we couldn't see them. <laughs> <laughs> so here's an excerpt from the book about it. Like, members were told that their lives had a very real and very important significance. They had been chosen to save the world, to bear witness to Armageddon, to survive the holocaust of their fathers. And, I mean, yeah, like, that was my plan, actually. <laughs> but I was just going to do it with myself. Well, maybe with a few friends, but only if they want to do the same stuff as me afterwards. And if they dress like me. And if they cut their hair. Oh, wait. See, that's Oops. how it works. Yeah. <laughs> so an interesting pattern I picked up on is that those with mental illness, like you're just talking about trauma, I mean, they seem to be more susceptible to cults, but not for the reasons one may think. Um, rather than being vulnerable... Uh, many people actually report relief or abatement of their mental health issues, such mm. as OCD behaviors, anxiety, depression, and bi bipolar disorder. Um, and, you know, like that's that blew my mind. It makes sense, right? Like, I mean, the thing that helped me with my depression and anxiety was a structure, getting a job and having a structure. I mean, and it, especially if someone's doing it for you, like, someone is taking the mental load of your life off of you and giving you a schedule and giving you structure. And, I mean, I think it would probably feel You're good. You're making it sound way too good. I know. We, are we going to start a cult? Like, like I, think that, I've been thinking, I think that we're, by the end of this, we're just going to do it. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, so, I know that you were wanting to talk about Heaven's Gate, and I want to talk about them, too. They're one of my favorites. I, it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So, here's my favorite things about Heaven's Gate. I I love the idea that aliens help us ascend to another level or dimension. And I I just think it's absolutely crazy that these people came up with this idea and coincidentally there was a comet, Hale-Bopp, which came by Earth for the first time in like 2000 years. And that had to have been huge. And so I was listening, I'll I'll Shout yeah, them give out, us cause... a quick sum up too of like their like. Who oh they sure, are. I'm not an expert by any means. Yeah, I just, just listened a quick to. And dirty. Uh, I looked at their website, which is still up. Check it out, and I listened to the podcast by uh, the Graveyard Tales. They're awesome. Shout out. They did an episode on Heaven's Gate Cult that I just listened to yesterday, and they talk about how they basically needed a reason for people to follow them, right? Like so, Apple White, the man who. Uh, I forget the woman's name, but it's a man and a woman who started this cult. And they were involved in like a platonic relationship. And they were like Bo and Peep. Is yes, what they, were they called, called each other Bo and Peep. Mm -hmm. And they essentially believed that 
Applewhite was the next Messiah. Mm-hmm. You know, he was gifted or chosen to save people, essentially. I to might help be a them to that. ascend to the yes. level beyond human. And then I don't know exactly how aliens got, like, wrapped up in their worldview, but they came to believe that, like, essentially aliens would take you to that next level. And so what happened is, I forget how many people died. We should look it up, but... Um, a bunch of people committed suicide it was by a essentially double digit number. yes, a double digit number by essentially mixing in a poison with applesauce and and eating it. And um, they all believed that when they died, their they would leave their container, their body, mm-hmm. and their souls would go on to live in the spaceship, the alien spaceship that was following Hale Bob Comet. So they said that there was a spaceship like either attached to or following the tail end of the comet and that that is what would take you to the next level. So all these people committed suicide in like waves. And that was the part that spooked me out was that they did it in waves. Like there's one group of people and you just you just lay down on the ground. And it's and... like they rented they rented a house and mm-hmm. you know, they went out in like batches of 8 to yep. 10 or something. Yeah, and they all had like little instructions on their in their pocket of what to do, how, how to take the poison. Um, and I guess what really strikes me about this cult is that what a way to go. Like, like <laughs> with all your friends. Yeah. With all your, your friends. matching outfits. They had matching outfits. Yeah. They had like brand new Nikes on or something, which yeah. like doesn't make any sense. Like Nike if you think actually that, stopped selling that. Yes. That yeah. Sneaker. <laughs> yeah. They took it out of whatever, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make any sense, right? Because if you're leaving your container with the clothes on it, why does your container need new shoes? But I whatever. wish we could ask them. I, I mean, I, I don't right? mean to be glib. Like, I really wish yeah. we could ask them about it. And, you know, they also, they believed that, it, their beliefs reminded me a lot of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I've never read it. I really, really, really recommend it, too. Everyone does. I just haven't like, gotten to it yet. Well, there's like one, I mean, in the very beginning of the book, Douglas Adams is like describing this, small bluish green planet um unremarkable planet that was inhabited by humans and most of them were unhappy all the time even the ones with digital watches (laughs) i mean he's just so funny and yeah like uh but you know earth is being this is not spoilers because it's like the first chapter but um earth was being uh bulldozed or like destroyed to make a hyperspace bypass essentially Mm. and like um what the Heaven's Gate cult believed is that um, the earth was about to be spaded under. That was Mm. the phrase they used. And so the earth was about to be essentially like recycled Mm -hmm. and that leaving on the spaceship was the only way that they could um, continue. Okay. Yeah. I remember that that like the spaceship was imperative because something was going to happen. Yeah, for sure. It's such a such a neat story. And like Honestly, there's a big difference in how I feel about that story versus Jonestown. Yeah, because I don't know a lot, honestly, but I don't think that Applewhite and this woman were abusing people, um, especially wasn't the sexual abuse that was going on in Jonestown. Like That, for me, is the number one red flag of like a cult where it's like, okay, people are being really, really hurt. And it's actually used, like, I mean, sex is used as a tool mm-hmm. um, of control. And it's done in, in like, uh, a couple of different ways. But, you know, um, it because not only does it create, you know, those bonds within the group, but 
it also, you know, a lot of times incest and other taboos are encouraged by the cult. And then after that takes place, they then have something over you to keep mm-hmm. you in because yep. you don't want anyone to know what happened. I think another weird thing about the cult was that you had to change your name. Yeah. And they had a really interesting naming system where the last three letters of your name had to be O-D-Y. And the first three letters of your name had to be consonants. So I remember Graveyard Tales saying one of the names like was like Ricotti or like Bugatti. Like they all <laughs> sound really weird because that's an interesting naming technique. Um, but yeah, I mean, they really did just strip people of their identities. Um, and something really interesting is that the website, their website is still fully functional and you can read their testimonies, I think. Like you can read their essential reasoning behind why they did what they did on the website. And there are still Heaven's Gate cult members, which is crazy because you'd think if like their whole thing was that this comet was going to take us and we'd escape and like now the comet's gone. Like it'll be back again yeah. in 2000 years. You don't I, have I mean, a chance. that's what they say too. Like the people that left behind that are left behind are like to try are there to try to help ascend, but they also are like, okay, no more suicide though because the comet's gone and it's not going to be back and you missed your window. Mm-hmm. And like they still believe that those people went on. Yeah, that it was right. You know, Can I read from their website? Please do. Yes. Okay, so so it says this is just, you know, first of all their website is straight out of 2001. Yes. You know, the the top of it has like a red alert. And it says, Hail Bop brings closure to Heaven's Gate. As was promised, the keys to Heaven's Gate are here again in T and Doe, the UFO 2, which was what... Bow and Peep. Right? Yes, which yeah. is what these two were called, the UFO 2, as they were in Jesus and his father 2,000 years ago. So their cult was like based off of Christianity. And like, it's a millenarian occult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a millenarian cult. Love it. So uh, they go on, you know, basically this little blurb right under that. That's all I'm going to read from because this is um, extensive, this website. <laughs> Whether Hellbop has a companion or not is irrelevant from our perspective. However, its arrival is joyously very significant to us at Heaven's Gate. That's in uh, quotation marks and I don't know why. <laughs> the joy, italicized, is that our older member in the evolutionary level above human the kingdom of heaven, has made it clear to us that Hillbop's approach is the marker we've been waiting for. The time for the arrival of the spacecraft from the level above human to take us to their world in the literal heavens. So they, I mean, they believed they were going to literal heaven and that Jesus had told Applewhite that this was how, it's wor- how it worked. Our 22 years of classroom here on planet Earth is finally coming to conclusion. Graduation from the human evolutionary level. We are happily prepared to leave this world and go with T's crew. That's why they were all dressed like that with new shoes. Because it was a graduation and a special occasion. Oh, interesting. Just kind of hit me like, that's why. I mean, how do you dress for your graduation, you know? Yeah, exactly. You dress up. Um, They now have on their website just a really kind of interesting thing that says, Our Position Against Suicide. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what you were saying is basically the true meaning of suicide is to turn against the next level when it is being offered. Doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Um, but essentially it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> you missed yeah. out. The reason why <laughs> so I don't know do that, it. I mean, I'm one of those people like I 
every couple of years go to the Heaven's Gate mm-hmm. website and read it again because it's so interesting. And Oh, this is cool. Yeah. They have a picture. It says, how a member of the kingdom of heaven might appear. And it's like a humanoid gray type figure. Can you see it? Oh, yeah. It's like almost a stereotypical gray depiction. Mm-hmm. Except it looks a little it looks more happy. like a human infant, too. Yeah, and it looks happy. <laughs> like, he's kind of smiling. Like, yeah, I know like, I okay. know what you don't know. And, you know, I think one thing that uh, separates Heaven's Gate from, um, oh. you know, at least the majority of cults, like, not all of them, is just all of these teachings that they have. Like, how in-depth it is and, like, how controlled it is. And the way that cults are able to get you to believe these things is through the process of brainwashing. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to go into a whole thing about brainwashing now. So if you okay. have anything else yes, to say. Yes, I was going to say, let's finish up Heaven's Gate because I found what I was looking for. And it is their um, exit press release. They they literally put on their website like a goodbye thing. It says, at the very beginning, it says, to be issued to the news media. By the time you read this, we suspect that the human bodies we were wearing have been found. And then a flurry of fragmented reports have begun to hit the wire services. The wire? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell these people like their heyday was the 70s. Yeah. For those who want to know the facts, the following statement has been issued. And then there's a big title. says, Heaven's Gate Away Team Returns to Level Above Human in Distant Space. Rancho Santa Fe, California. By the time you receive this, we'll be gone. Several dozen of us. We came from the level above human in distant space, and we have now exited the bodies that we were wearing for our earthly task to return to the world from whence we came. Task completed. The distant space we refer to is what your religious literature would call the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So that's just the first. I'm not going to read the whole thing. That's just the first paragraph. There's a whole page, like essentially of their exit letter and some relevant scripture. And that's... And that's on their website? Yes. Yeah, that's on their website. So check it out, heavensgate.com. Oh, you can also go on YouTube. I'm not sure what you have. Probably type in, like, Heaven's Gate videos and um, all of the people that committed suicide on that day. Or we'll say, I'll say all the people that ascended on Mm -hmm. that day. um, They left video uh, messages behind as well so you can hear wow. them talking about it and it's really interesting I mean they are all so super excited they're like with their friends like they can't wait I honestly I'm happy for these people I mean I, I like yeah. you know it's sad that they I don't know I just wish I could be that happy about my eventual demise it is interesting because like are we gonna have the stance that all cults are bad because are they it's a tricky question and right? I will get to that like <laughs> yeah so like should we feel bad for these people? Right. I personally believe that everyone should die the way they want to. Exactly. Like, I love the agency involved. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that. that's what it is. But then again, you know, you have to consider, what I'm wondering is how, how did they come to get this information? And, you know, by what means was it disseminated? Like, as in, of course, we know that um, there's still all the videos of their teachings, like, from um, T... Is it T or Doe? I forget which one he is. T and... I don't know. I don't remember. Bo Peep, T, Doe. They had a million names. But anyway, the the man, the mm-hmm. leader. Applewhite. Applewhite, thank you. That was his Um, You know, like all name. of his teachings are still, you know, they're still there and they're still there to be found. And, you know, he does give a lot of sermons, but um, 
you know, that's what I would call him. He says mm -hmm. he's Jesus. So, but um, I just wonder, like, what kind of brainwashing mm -hmm. or was brainwashing involved? Or is this just very similarly to, like, when somebody just joins a new religion? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I, I just wonder. We'll have to do a whole more, a whole episode on Heaven's Gate. I would love to do that. But, like, as far as brainwashing goes, keep in mind, some cults will just slowly envelop the life of a person, like, merely just sucking up their free time slowly over a period of weeks and years, while another one might be, lo another cult might be loading the person into a bus the next day. And regardless, the new convert will start attending meetings where there may be intensive prayer sessions, long meditations, public shaming and humiliation, mm -hmm. and long speeches or sermons. Mm -hmm. And these events are designed to break the already vulnerable person down mentally. Um, it creates an atmosphere where the mind is more open and the person is less able to think critically. Can I just, I don't mean to interrupt, no, but you could. sounds a lot like the U.S. military and boot camp, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I was actually thinking too, you know, I, I grew up in church and everything and, um, I don't have any problem with that really, but I, I, the one thing that always did bother me is like during, um, special occasions or like special sermons at the end. And they do this at many churches. Like they'll have this emotional guitar music mm. and like this, you know, way of the, the, the preacher changes the way that he's speaking, like his tone of voice and like all of these elements come together to create like this very specific emotional atmosphere and that has never set right with me because I've mm. always felt like that was very manipulative. You know, after I had kind of left the church and I was kind of like an angsty teen trying to figure out what I was doing, I lived across the street from a church that my FFA advisor and teacher also went to because small town. Right. So I went to church with her one time because I was selling citrus. Shout out FFA kids. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Uh, citrus sale is huge. It's like Girl Scout cookies. And I just remember... I went to one church service, you know, and the pastor, who was my neighbor, like, we live next to him, he, like, welcomed me, and everyone made me feel so happy and safe there, and it was this backcountry church, really small, like, and I remember I went home, and I was like, we need to go to church, like, we need to go, because I feel amazing, and I, looking back, I totally think that was, like, all in how the service was designed to make you feel. That's part of my disillusionment, too, is that, you know, regardless of my own spiritual beliefs, I'm definitely, like, not about churches of any type, really. Mm -hmm. And it's it's for the mere fact that church is a business mm -hmm. with quarterly goals and a profit margin. You know, like, it, yeah. it, it is a business. And I just don't think that religion should be a business. I think that that's yeah. where it goes wrong. There really shouldn't be money and you know, things involved. For sure. So it just bothers me as like a former business owner myself. Like I just can't, yeah. you know, and I can, the more that I started to see it that way, the more that I realized like that's really, really true. Mm -hmm. Like especially some of the newer churches coming out are just like, they have like their own branding and like mm -hmm. it's so corporate. I mean, the Mormon church is like that, right? Like yeah. they have their own investments. They have their own marketing team. Yeah, They've exactly. got everything. I mean, it is a business and... You know, like, if you don't get into this stuff when you're young, like, there's, you know, there's even a verse in the Bible that teach that says that. It says, uh, train up a child in a yep. way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. Oh, I totally know that quote, because that is what Michael and Debbie Pearl 
of famous fundy fame. Oh, yeah. That is where their To Train Up a Child yeah. book title comes from. Because exactly. they believe in whipping your child anytime they do anything wrong, even when... <laughs> Okay, here's here's my rant on blanket training. If you don't know what blanket training is, fundies will literally sit there, baby, their six-month-old baby on a blanket, and anytime that child has the, you know, natural curiosity to leave the blanket, they hit them with a willow whip. You're they literally supposed to try to, whip. to encourage the child to leave the yes, blanket. Yes, yeah, and, oh yeah, and they'll yeah. be like, come here, come to me, and then when he doesn't, they whip him. I mean, it's all just about breaking down your human nature, breaking down your ability to question and your ability to question authority and that is exactly what brainwashing is about like um as i was reading about brainwashing like i was struck by how much the process sounds exactly like what a virus does in the body Mm. and like how it attacks you and how it takes over and it like enters the cells and starts replicating and like you know yeah it just um i think it's a very apt description of how cults grow and spread like brainwashing is it's literally a mind infection and it's one that we are all susceptible to if you are if you have a brain then you are susceptible to brainwashing yeah like there's just no way around it i wish i could think that i'm like better and undoubtedly somebody that hears that will think like but not me Mm -hmm. and that's just gonna make it even easier (laughs) (laughs) so one of the best ways to brainwash someone like so this will be important like for our cult so take notes for our future cult this is what we got to do okay repeatedly introduce stress without allowing an opportunity to rest or recover the stress can be physical emotional or both at the same time and the ingredients are exhaustion overstimulation tension and excitement this puts a person off balance and makes them unsure of everything. So it, like, pulls the rug out from under them, so to speak. Yeah, it sounds like my trauma response. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> as so, like, as they're going through that, mm-hmm. like, they're dealing with those things, they're being told at the same time that they're being purified, mm-hmm. that the suffering is growing pains as they are tested and transformed, and that the whole process is framed as a rite of passage. Gotcha. And, and so, like, that gives it, like, this really special meaning. I have to imagine in a lot of places this goes along with, like, fasting, uh, no sleep, yep. that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like, these are all things. And, I mean, it could be something as simple as, like, every single moment of your day is structured. So you're waking up early and then you have lots of chores to do the whole day and then you have to go to a sermon or like a prayer meeting or mm-hmm. you know whatever and you have to sit through that for hours and hours and then you rinse and repeat mm-hmm. and like that's that's how it works and going through those things actually changes your brain structure it is like it's the equivalent of like being stripped down naked in front of a big group of people and being humiliated for it and then finally being able to put your clothes back on. Like that's the whole sense of like being broken down and then rebuilt mm-hmm. in the image that the cult wants. Yeah. So not only that, but like in order for that sort of process to be undone, it would require like sort of a second mental undressing where yeah. like they need to pull those cult ideals off of that person and like help them return to like a normal state. Yeah, we have to re-brainwash you, but exactly. the correct way. Exactly, and mm-hmm. like that, you know, if you go through that experience, like, how willing are you going to be to strip down again Yeah. when you've already done it? 
you yeah. know, and you made it through it. You survived it once and it was really hard and it actually became like a point of pride for you that you survived it. Like mm-hmm. how willing would you be to like go through it again? So like in during all this time, ner- new neurological connections are being made and rewritten. So in that way, brainwashing should be understood as physiological as much as it is psychological. Mm. And that was something just really new to me to think about it. Like, yeah. I know that mind and body are, like, so, so connected, but, like, this is just another level. Yeah, and it's a full body experience. Yeah, exactly. Brainwashing actually changes um, structures in the brain associated with personality and behavior. And it's done through sleep deprivation, thought disruption, and physical exertion. So once all that's done, after the brainwashing has been complete, the next step is indoctrination. So this is a time in which many things such as natural sexual urges or a tendency to doubt are branded as evil Mm -hmm. and the new values of the cult are instilled. So like in this section of the book, Apple spends a lot of time comparing the indoctrination in cults to the German Third Reich. And I found a paragraph in there that I found especially unsettling. And I just, I, I think I'm like, pause this. I'm going to read it, pause it, and then listen to it, back it up and listen to it again and really, really think about it. Um, the Third Reich undermined the will of the German population through fear and disorientation and fostered a process of self-terrorization that weakened the integrity of individuals bringing out unconscious dependencies and the tendency to regress. Hmm. And it sounds so much like what's going on. Like, I mean, it just sounds so much like what had been going on throughout the early stages of the pandemic. Like, it really, really yep. freaked me out. And I, I now think that everyone in school should, like, really, really study the Third Reich. Like, not just, like, the facts that we learned, but, like, how people were convinced and yep. I mean, how do we not talk about that all the time anyway? How have I learned so much about the Holocaust and World War II and, and everything, but yet I've never heard anybody talk about how an entire group of people, like the entire country of mm-hmm. Germany or the great majority of it, was able to buy into these things. And we, I feel like I've heard a bunch of times from a lot of people, you know, that Nazis were normal people. Exactly. But no one ever elaborates. And it was a calculated movement. I mean, like, Hitler started off talking about undesirables in society, but, you know, he didn't start off sending people to gas chambers. You know, I mean, he just yeah. said, like, blacks are stealing your jobs. Does that sound familiar in today's society? Yeah, huh? exactly. That someone's stealing your job? Or that, like, you know, Jews were money-hungry and greedy and that they were mm-hmm. a stain on our society. Like, you know, you just start taking these minority groups of people and And then suddenly, at the same time saying like stereotypical Germans or like the stereotypical German Aryan look is like God's chosen people. Yes. So then elevating them and, while also pushing Yeah, and that down. really simple dynamic at first just keeps becoming more divided and more divided until it's we need to kill everyone who's not us. And then we have to keep in mind like those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I would like everybody to remember is that these were normal people. Mm-hmm. They were just like you and I. They And yet this happened to them. And they were and our they were ancestors. Complicit. They were our ancestors. People forget 
even if I don't care if you weren't from Germany, mm-hmm. I think I've said this on the podcast before because it's my favorite idea that, you know, past 200 years, your genetics do not show anything specific. Past 200 years, every human on every human on earth is your ancestor, essentially. Yeah. And so those people, you know, who were believing in Nazi idealism, the Nazi youth, they 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 were people's grandparents. Yeah. Like they're not they're not just like this crazy group of people that something happened to like they were us. Exactly. And I think that it is the um lack of education on those points and a lack of understanding the nature of humans and how we really don't change as much as as much as generations may change and rise up and rebel against each other like in very very basic ways we do not change and those people could easily be us yeah i remember i studied abroad in high school and i went to leinfelden ecterdingen in uh baden-württemberg germany near stuttgart and they had a really cute museum there that was all about the people of the town. And they were like, it was like a cabbage farming area. Like, <laughs> like so that adorable. was traditionally, yeah, that was traditionally what they farmed. So we're like, proud cabbage farmers. Yes. And the museum was just like, you know, a two-story house. Like it was yeah. like the Mary Todd oh. Lincoln house where it's like a tiny museum. And they had like clogs and like cabbage farming tools. But they also had a whole floor about this town in Nazi Germany and how people, you know, they they basically, I remember, said that, like, despite people's beliefs, they were forced to adhere to Nazi law. People who lived through that in that town later gave their testimony about it, and that's in the museum. And it, it, it gives me chills thinking about it, and I saw it years ago. So shout out if you're ever in Leinfelden, Echterdingen, on the train from Stuttgart going south get off and go see the museum um, because they talk about how these people were normal, everyday people. They were good people. They were hard workers. You know, they weren't out to get something from the destruction of another culture. I mean, they were farm. I mean, they were farmers. And they I were hardworking farm people. Farmers are like the salt of the earth. Yeah. Know? Like, you know, I mean, they just keep us fed. Yeah. They're good people. They're hardworking people. And they talk a lot about how easy it was to subscribe to the Nazi idea- ideology because it was good for you at first. And then, you know, by the end, everyone was like, wait, we don't want to do this anymore. But you can't. Yeah, you can't get off the, you can't get off can't the get ride off the at that belt. point. That, and, and, yeah. Let's talk about the sex stuff. Oh, I love it. Let's get ready for some dirty cult smut. Yeah, we're not a podcast for children, by the way. Yeah, no, not at all. Yet. And we were actually talking about should we stop fucking cussing mm-hmm. in our podcast? And we decided even if we took out all of the swearing, it's still for adults. So. Yeah. And also, fuck no. Fuck no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're so, grown-ass women. If yeah. you don't want to hear it, you don't have to listen. Yeah, absolutely. This is a free country, and I would never want anything that I say to, like, hurt your feelings. Because you don't have to listen. <laughs> <laughs> well and i just think if you don't want to listen to cussing that's your own problem <laughs> true <laughs> so the method and means of sexual practice within cults ranges a wide strange spectrum from abstinence to orgies um, while the unification church used marriage to get green cards for members across seas the male congregants of People's Temple would falsely declare their own sexual desire for Jim Jones to show their devotion, like we mm-hmm. talked about earlier. Is the Unification Church the ones who call themselves the Moonies? Moonies. Yeah. Okay. And they, like, they marry people without really knowing who they are. Exactly, because the point of the marriage is, like, the legal benefit. Yeah. 
And I think that's a, a part of a lot of these cults is that the cult leader chooses your spouse. True. Right. Yeah, that's like a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some cults, sex is engaged in a group setting. And those who have hangups are considered to be unenlightened. And that is where that group sex is usually where the incest and taboos happen and then the blackmail. Mm. They're a cult from New Zealand and they famously are like very, you know, like sex is only between married people. They're a millenarian Mm -hmm. cult. They would like get together and they would all fuck their spouses like under the sheets in the same room. And it was like this really kinky <laughs> thing. And Fundy, Fr- Fundy Fridays is all my brain today. Oh, I, I hope I'm gonna, I'm feel like I should reach out to her and be oh like, we mentioned you 10 please, times in our podcast. So please listen. Please to be this. our friend. Like, you're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> she talked about how there's like this sexual repression in a lot of millineristic religions or cults or whatever. And that has to come out in some way. Right. Like, you can't repress your sexuality. That's not how humans work. bad things happen. And this was, like, an outlet, essentially. And there was also some really gross stuff going on. Like, like the leader would, like, demonstrate sex to the couple and basically, like, you know, abuse women for his own gain. But but that was just a really light thing, I thought. They all would, like, get together. And, I mean, it's kind of hot, right? (laughs) I'd be into it. I kind of love it. What I love about it is that they're like, and technically we're not breaking the rules. Exactly. This isn't sin because you can't see us fucking. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. It's really kind of, I actually think that's kind of adorable. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's very innocent, right? Yeah. Like, Like, (laughs) (laughs) because you have to imagine too, these are people who've never had sex with anyone else other than that one person. Mm -hmm. So it's not like when you imagine like this thing, like happening, you ima- you imagine a bunch of like sex depraved people who are like, you know, really into it and really kinky, but they're probably just like awkward and weird, and they're probably not having life changing sex, like yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, but so like the main thing about sex is just that it is a huge tool that one way or another is used to like control people and keep them in the group and following the rules, mm-hmm. and. So going back to the example of, like, the incest, like, you do it because it's part of, like, the cult's ethos. And um, then they have that as blackmail against you. That right there, encouraging a sexual taboo while also making it shameful, is an example of what is called the double bind. Mm. And this is a really important... um, concept within cults and also within narcissist abusers too Mm -hmm. um and so the double bind is a kind of damned if you do damned if you don't scenario where there's no way to win and like a really really superficial example would be like if i told you mel okay i am not going to eat chocolate anymore so if you see me eating chocolate you need to stop me okay and then you come into the room and i'm eating chocolate and you're like wait stop don't do that and then I turn around and I'm like you dumb bitch don't tell me what to do yeah and then you're like dang well you told me but then you know and then if you didn't say anything I'd be like you're not even trying to help me Mm -hmm. like that's a double bind exactly oh yeah so you know it's it's so you can see like how deep and powerful these trauma bonds can be mm-hmm. like between these uh, among these cult members because yeah. they are going through all of this together like and they're being uh, 
faced with these double binds and creating that sense of pressure. Like they're, they're all going through that as a group. Yeah. So it, you know, the huge first wave of cults that sprang up into in the 60s and 70s also gave rise to a new profession, which is the deprogrammer. Mm. So like all of these people have these, they have trauma bonds with their group. They've been brainwashed. You know, they have been cut off. And in some cases, they may have sold everything that they own, you know, and don't have any possessions anymore. Mm -hmm. So like it, it became a thing to like hire a deprogrammer. Wow. And these were the people that would like kidnap cult members and like in some cases and yeah. like depro like take them off to be yeah. deprogrammed, which is so funny, kind of. I mean, it's sad, but I think it's so funny that the that the breaking in order to you yeah have to unbrainwash by brainwashing. Mm-hmm. So, God, that's insane. One of the famous ones was Ted Patrick, who was known as Black Lightning. Like, oh, like white lightning? Yeah, isn't that kind of a badass moniker? <laughs> it really is. He says, um, in the book, he says, cults completely destroy the mind. They destroy your ability to question things. And in destroying your ability to think, they also destroy your ability to feel. You have no desires, no emotions, no pain, no joy, no nothing. Which honestly sounds like me before medication and therapy. So I feel a need for a quick PSA here. Um, mental health is real, y'all. Mm -hmm. Take care of yourselves and be kind to your mind as much as you can. If something was a little bit wrong with your heart, you would want to take care of that, right? Well, the brain is infinitely more complicated than the heart and just as important for your body to be able to function normally. So if your mental health is not doing so well right now, firstly, know you're not alone. Second, just like brainwashing can change the physical structure of your brain, so can depression and mental illness. Mm -hmm. It is a physical thing. It will literally change how your brain works for the rest of your life. Thank you. And we, we have been, we've talked about doing a mental health episode for a long time. We might finally get around to it, but we both struggle with mental health. And you know what works is therapy and medication. We're Absolutely. not going to give you any of this new age bullshit. People deserve free health care so that they can get free therapy and free medication. Preach. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, just remember, like, it is in your head, but it's not just in your head. Mm-hmm. So everything's I, in your head right That's where your brain is exactly <laughs> so i hope those of you who might be struggling out there will reach out and get help and of course you can i mean if nothing else you can send me an email at tellmelinstell at gmail.com that's one l in mel two l's in stell tellmelinstell at gmail.com you can send me an email and i will try to find something i'll try to find some resources for yeah. you in your area that was why we set up that email when we first started it was supposed to be a hotline for people who are struggling and if you are struggling we will try and find you resources in your area yeah. to help you and it doesn't have to be mental illness it can be domestic violence or drug abuse or whatever you need help with we're here to be a tool that people might be lacking in their life yeah for sure like i i imagine you and i like being friends to people that need friends exactly. like that's you know like we yeah. the reason why i would want to be want to participate in a podcast is because i know how comforting it is when i'm home alone because i'm home alone a lot by myself and it helps me so much just to have voices of people talking mm -hmm. in the background and 
you know, I feel like those people are my friends, mm -hmm. even if they don't know it. Yeah. So I just love this idea. And like, whoever you are, if you're just listening and you're alone, like I am your friend, it's real. Yes, we you will know? be your friend. We're really here thinking about you yeah. as we record. Yes, you. Back to Ted Patrick, the Black Lightning. He goes on to say, when you deprogram people, you force them to think. Um, the first thing I do is shoot them with challenging questions. I hit them with things they haven't been programmed to respond to. I keep them off balance, and this forces them to begin questioning and to open their minds. Then if, and, and like, I think it's interesting because I actually literally said about in the brainwashing part, like that it is to get you off balance. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's the whole point. So they throw you off balance again. Yeah. Um, and now he has actually, he's really controversial because like mm -hmm. some of the things that he, like he says a lot of good stuff, but if those questions don't work, then he would proceed to attempt to provoke a response by openly ridiculing the cult leader or tearing up a picture of them. And once he even cut off the braid of a Hare Krishna member, mm. and I feel like that's assault. For sure. Cutting someone's hair without their permission is always assault. Yeah. Like when I, <laughs> it right, is. right? Like simple, yeah, right? For and sure. When I read that, I had to wonder if this guy is an ends justify the means yes. kind of person. Oh, he sounds so much like every 80s cop ever who's right? like, well, I got the job done, didn't yeah. I? He's <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like up just, the streets. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like no matter what I do to people's personal lives and hearts and souls, like. So, but also, like, also when I read that, just knowing that those kind of people exist and that many of them are in law enforcement, military, or politics, mm -hmm. like, it keeps me up at night. Mm -hmm. So I just found him, like, really unsettling. But generally, his method is to engage in a conversation with the cult member in which he challenges all their statements and beliefs and uh, trying to push them in a place where they have to actually produce new thoughts, like think critically yeah. to provide an answer. Um, and he describes that he can tell just by looking into their eyes if a person has been programmed or not. And I oh, don't know. Yeah. You think so? I can. T I mean, I can totally see that. Can you not see like the look in some like really religious people's eyes? Like, okay, so I went to high school with a guy who was Mormon, and he kind of got more devout after he graduated and became a missionary. Mm -hmm. And, like, I just remember looking on his Facebook, like, seeing the pictures of him, and it looked like he was dead inside. <laughs> I mean, like, you can see when there's no light in someone's eyes. Like, I was kind of thinking, like, maybe a thousand-yard stare mm -hmm. kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. Like, like a shell-shocked veteran, almost. Like, mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's something just an empath can see, but, like, I think everyone can see that. I think I just try, like, it might be something that I can see or have seen before. I just really tend to be like, well, you just can't. I, I tend to just say, you don't know anything about anybody till you talk to them. <laughs> so True. I'm just like, but Apple says that as many go through the process of breaking down their brainwashing, like in, these individuals actually begin to change their posture, expression, and vocal tone. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's it's really crazy. crazy. The whole time we're talking about this, I'm just thinking about how elastic our brains are. Yeah. It's crazy that you can, like, completely rewrite parts of your brain just because of some stimuli from the outside. Like, all it takes is one guy questioning you for you to be like, oh, right, this is who I used to be. This is how I used to act. 
right? Yeah, that's crazy. It, just, it does blow my mind. But it also gives me a lot of hope. And it should give you all a lot of hope out there if for some reason you're in need of hope. Mm-hmm. That it is, it really, really doesn't seem possible. I can understand that. How you could just never think that you could ever feel any different than you yeah. do right now. Your but, brain will heal itself. And it is plastic. It's, it's elastic. Elastic. I was going to say like plasticized. You're thinking about something. plasticity, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it has, you have neuroplasticity. It's you got not... the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After the initial meeting with a deprogrammer, the subject often has an awakening to the reality of the situation they are in. However, once the meeting ends and the person's left alone, they often begin to float or exist in a sort of in-between with their beliefs. And at this time, they often fall back into old habits such as chanting and ritual. And it makes a lot of sense because these are the tools and coping mechanisms that have been instilled by the group and are designed for moments such as this. Yeah, that's their structure, right? Mm-hmm. They're just falling back on it. Yeah, and I mean, naturally, leaving a cult is much like leaving an abusive relationship when you're still in love with the abuser. Mm. Um, That person may feel depressed, disconnected, and almost childlike in their inability to make decisions for themselves. And in a lot of cases, deprogramming and other therapy is needed in order to break someone free of a cult. But however, according to Apple, as many as one-third of cult members are able to leave on their own. Mm. Um, They're usually disillusioned or unable to cope with boredom or the tedious work that often comes with being a cult member. I love that. All that brainwashing they do to keep you in the cult can't stand up to the inherent humanness of not wanting to fucking work. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, nah, I just want to eat fruit in the jungle. Like your brain, that's all your brain wants to do. I just imagine like, you know, there's some cult member like out tending the fields or whatever (laughs) and they just like see someone over across the way like at the lake or something laying down and they're just like, just throw their hoe F on this. the ground. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, done. Like, <laughs> throw their hoe. I'm out. <laughs> out. So Apple quotes a study that found many physiological differences in cult in former cult members, um, such as extreme weight loss or gain, menstrual changes, hair loss, and even skin conditions. Hmm. Like, isn't that wild? Yeah. Like, just merely being in a cult can cause these changes within the do body. Do you think that has something to do with? Like the fact that you have changed, like your personality has changed. And so that unnatural change kind of just sets off some other stuff in your brain. Yeah. And it's really crazy. Like it makes me wonder, you know, I mean, could I give myself like a, like acne or something Mm -hmm. just by chanting yeah <laughs> you know like right just by just, doing some of these activities this is so weird you know and i'm just just thinking random here's stuff. what we're gonna do for science uh-huh okay i'm gonna i'm gonna be a cult leader and i'm gonna program you oh let's do it and then we'll deprogram you and then you'll be a cult leader and you'll program me i love it and we'll see what happens to I each other i love that i'm going first too because i'm like i'm like and my yes. baby too oh yeah oh yeah 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 <laughs> That'll be easy. It will. <laughs> um, I'm just, <laughs> just thinking about a little hairy like, baby <laughs> with a tambourine. And a big, long braid. <laughs> like a clip-on braid. Yeah, exactly. Or like a little rat tail. So, I mean, naturally, like, there's no one-size-fits-all method to deconversion. And many experts wildly disagree on what the best treatment is. 
though what most agree on is that halfway houses and group therapy for cult members is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And citing the Jonestown survivors. Like when they engage, like the there were like four or five, maybe even six people that survived. And like that's just a random number. It's a single yeah. digit number. Okay. But, you know, they um, they actually engaged in group therapy together. And um, during the time after their therapy sessions, like they would get together and like they started to re-indoctrinate themselves yep. as a group. I can totally see that. What is, I'm trying to think of something that's relatable. Like, I mean, it's just like a disease. Like, it would be like if all my animals in my house had fleas and I cured all but one of them of fleas, they would still all get fleas again. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't knock it all out. Exactly. And, you know, like that, it's just wild. And so you mentioned earlier, you brought up the question, you know, is that the best thing for... Um, a cult member to leave the cult if they have Mm. everything that they need. And that's a really good point because there is still a lot of disagreement on the best way to go about deprogramming. And then also, is that really what's best for that person, especially if they don't have um, they don't have a support system outside of the cult. Yeah. And if they've experienced, like I talked about earlier, an abatement of their mental health symptoms mm-hmm. like their mental illness like if it's like, actually doing better is it ethical yeah. to pull them out of this healthy air quote situation yeah and that's you know that's the question and still there's also the other question of if they don't have a support group and their whole life has been inside of the cult what do you do with them mm-hmm. once you pull them out where do you put them mm-hmm. what do you expect them to do yeah it's crazy so i don't think that deprogramming from a cult I, I i would not say that just because somebody is in a cult means they need to be deprogrammed agreed i think that it's their free will to join the cult in the first place right yeah, i more mean or less. And as long as they're not being abused then mm-hmm. there's no reason for us to pull them out of their chosen lifestyle and i think like the main thing is we need to remember today yesterday and tomorrow to have empathy for people, like whether they're in your in-group or your out-group, and remember that they have the same types of like fears and insecurities and issues and problems and things that you do, and they're really not that different from you. Mm-hmm. They're just a few brainwashing sessions away, mm-hmm. you know, and like these, the, they are people, and they are doing the best that they can, and yeah. I was also thinking you know, going back to January 6th again and the cult of Trump. And, you know, one thing, even though what they did was totally wrong and it was an act of treason, I still think about, you know, how scared and desperate must a group of people Mm -hmm. be that they are willing to go and do that and risk their lives. Because I think Going in, I'm sure at some point, a lot of them realize that they're in a very dangerous situation, especially when um, someone was shot and killed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just can't imagine the feelings that they must be feeling. And especially for a leader. So like if, if you know, Trump is their de facto leader, who doesn't give a shit about you? Yeah. Right? He didn't care about pardoning them. He didn't. He didn't care about, you know. I mean, everything that he, like, tells them, in quotes, 
is like some, you know, like what did he say that one time where he was like, yeah, we should shoot them all. Like he makes offhand comments because he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> like I don't think that he care. I don't think this is any any plan by him. I just think he's an idiot who doesn't think of the words before they come out of his mouth. And he's been rich enough to get away with that his whole life. You know, and so like they're in this cult of idea. Yeah. They're in this cult of like this is what we believe and I guess he's the the picture image of belief that they want to adhere to. And what a sad picture image. Yeah, like really, really? <laughs> that's who you chose for your cult leader some fake orange tan obese yeah. man like really yeah and i don't understand all the evangelical support as well no. like how many pastors were like but which you shouldn't that. be pastors should not be preaching about politics no. that's like that no. you don't have to pay taxes and there's a reason separation of religion and state and that Thank benefits you. everybody on both sides mm-hmm. that all religions the reason that we say this is not because we are anti-religion. It is because it is what's best for everyone. That is how everybody's beliefs and everybody's way of life continues to be respected mm-hmm. is because we have those really important separations in place. And that's what... I, all of these people who claim to be, like, constitutionalists and, like, you know, oh, the founding father, fathers, the founding fathers are rolling over in their grave because you think that... America is a Christian nation. Yeah. America was not supposed to be a Christian nation. It was supposed to be a place of refuge for all religions. Yeah. And even the founding fathers weren't devout Christians. Newsflash. That's going to turn a lot of heads, but it's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. It's the hard truth. I mean, and the the facts are out there to be Mm -hmm. found. It's not just like you have to take Mel's word for it. Mm Mm-hmm. You can go and see that for yourself. They they wrote, several of them wrote at length on how they were, at the very least, agnostic. Yes. And I think, he, I'm thinking of specifically Thomas Jefferson was mm-hmm. a, uh, there's a really special word for what he believed in, but we called it the, the watchmaker theory oh, in yes. history class, mm-hmm. you know, where he basically believed that someone made the watch, but they're not watching us anymore. Like, a God made this earth, but he's not here Putting playing a hand in our life, which I think is a great theory. So anyway, I don't know where I was going on this, but suck it, QAnon believers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going. Well, what, what like, I wanted to remind everybody and you too, Mel, <laughs> is that if not, there, but what is <laughs> there? If <laughs> I'm trying to say, like there. If not for the grace of God, go I or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, that point, no, so. whatever. No, it's fine. Um, what I just. Um, <laughs> so. <coughs> Sorry. I want to see a little bit more patience, compassion, and understanding on both sides, but mostly from the outside looking in as well. Like, this book that Willa Apple wrote, like, in the reviews that followed after she wrote it, the book was considered to be a real triumph because cults and cult-like thinking was a huge issue in society when she wrote this book. And there were people that were feeling very polarized like we are now at that time. And she was, she gained a lot of respect for how she presented these facts. Mm -hmm. And I hope that I did some service to the way that she presented them as a uniting front so that everybody can understand the phenomena and what's going on without attaching 
all of these other things to it. You need to understand the people that are doing these things or the people that have done these things fell prey to the same things that we are all susceptible to and we are all susceptible to it all the time. And part of the thing that makes it susceptible other than us having a brain is just the mere fact that it's also the conditions. Mm -hmm. Like the conditions that we exist in on this planet, like what's going on? Are yeah. there wars? Is there shortages? Are we having a pandemic? Is there natural disasters? Unrest, basically. Is there unrest? Mm -hmm. You know, these things will give rise to cults. So it's not a matter of who or what, it's when is it going to happen and which person is going to happen to fall prey to it at the time when it does. Yeah. I love so, it. These are our brothers and sisters. And thank you, Dr. Apple. Your research is amazing. Shout out. You know, I always wonder if authors are going to Google their name every once in a while and this will <laughs> pop up. And I hope she listens to the whole thing just so at the end we can be like, girl power. Girl Love you. Good work. Yeah. I mean, she she's amazing. She represents like so many things that I admire in a human being and in mm -hmm. a woman. And I just I look up to you, Dr. Apple. Thank you so much for this book. I'm really glad that I could put it on my conspiracy shelf because it is what I would consider a interesting cultural oddity. Yeah. And a classic. And a classic. A classic of the conspiracy shelf. Well, I think that wraps us up for tonight. I think that does everything. Can you give them, can you give everybody our deets? Yeah. Uh, so check out our Facebook page for fans. Uh, we're going to start posting some cool stuff in there. That's everything under the moon podcast fan page. Uh, check out our Patreon at EUTM podcast. We've got some exclusive content there for just $3 a month. You get access to everything. And uh, I... I include some random ramblings about some cool dreams I had and <laughs> some other cool uh, juicy stuff that you'll really want to hear. Uh, check out our YouTube page. And uh, like uh, Stell said, email us at tellmelonstell at gmail.com uh, for anything, really. But if you just like to give us a suggestion or if you'd like to meet us or if you just need a friend, hit us up. Yep. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for hanging out with us, friends. All right. See you later.